So, we're in the last week of James, but before we get started, let's run through what we've learned so far. And now you're all really scared because I preached 16 weeks on what we've learned so far, 15 weeks. So, here we go. We preached that, we, we learned that James was the younger brother of Jesus. So, if, if he believed Jesus was God, if James is the brother of Jesus, and he he was definitely the brother of Jesus. If James is the brother of Jesus, and he believes after, not why, by the way, we've got to remember this, he didn't believe Jesus was God when he was alive, he believed after Jesus died and was resurrected. That's when James became a Christian. He thought his brother was nuts before then. And if he believes he was God, we should. And that this book was written to early Christians. And it's basically a mirror. That is what the book of James is. It's a mirror that he wants to lovingly hold up to your face. And say, look, because he was one of the senior elders of the church in Jerusalem. And he didn't want his brothers and sisters that were living outside of Jerusalem to grow weary and, and loose in their faith. He wanted to say, this is what it looks like to be a Christian. And we learned, hopefully, that we live in a fallen, broken world. So there will be trials in life. Life is not easy. The world was fractured a long time ago. Life is not easy. But our hope is in the promise of Jesus and that this is sometimes, isn't it, how God grows us. I've grown more in my trials and my pain than I've ever grown when life is going easy. Most people that come to Christ, by the way, come when they're at bottom, not when they're riding high. See, We need endurance because we have to run a race that's not easy because we live in a broken world. We should take God's word seriously and not be only hearers of God's word, but we should be doers of it also. We should be people who do not play favorites. No matter what other people look like, act like, we should love all people. We shouldn't say, hey, they've got a fat bank account. They can do this for us. Let's butter up to them to see what they can do for me. We should love all people, no matter what, where they are in life. We understand that we are saved by grace, the grace of God. And this life is about progress, not perfection. There should be some progress. If you're following Christ, you should be progressing towards him, not away from him. There should be a change in you. That our faith in God should produce a want to serve him. Because before you became a Christian, you were serving the world, whether you want to believe it or not. 
And now when you say God, Jesus, you go, Jesus, I want to be, you to be my savior. It doesn't say Jesus is just your savior. It says that he's your Lord and savior. That means he's in charge. So we should want to serve him because, of, because we love him. Just like I want to serve my wife because I love her. We learn that we, we're saved by grace, but that grace is never alone. Faith in Jesus gives us salvation, which in turn produces good works. We learn that we should tame our tongue, but no one can. That's the thing about James. James says, tame your tongue. But he says, then nobody can tame their tongue. So we need to be humble enough to accept the fact that when we make mistakes, because we're all going to make mistakes, I'm going to offend probably all of you, and you're all going to offend me at some point. But I should love you enough to continue to love you. We learn that there's two kinds of wisdom. There's worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. And worldly wisdom leads to death and destruction, while godly wisdom will ultimately lead to everlasting life. We learn that the solution to the problem of this world was provided when Jesus sacrificed his life on the cross. We learn that it's easy to be prideful, but God calls us to humility. James warns us, as we are rich, all of us, to check our bank accounts. Because when you follow the money trail, you'll see where your heart is. We need to practice patience in our lives Waiting on God's timing, not ours. And today, we will look at the final part of James and take a look at prayer on this quest for healing. So, first of all, the priority and purpose of prayer. Do you know the problem with prayer? The problem with, with prayer is we treat it like a spare tire. You only need a spare tire when your tire goes flat. How often are you checking your spare tire? Most cars don't even come with one anymore. There's a little kit in there that you're supposed to use to air up your tire. Uh, luckily, my car came with a full-size spare tire because I needed it once. But I, never, I, I had the car for two years. I didn't even know where it, I knew where it was, but I never looked at it until I needed it. Luckily, it was still aired up because... I didn't check it, and I was on a road trip. Uh, that shows you, I learned some of that day. You check your tires, all of them, even the spare before you go on a road trip. But the only time I worried about that spare was when I got a flat tire. Okay, that's how we treat prayer. See, we have no interest in a relationship we just want God's stuff. If God can heal me, I'm going to pray. See, 
The heading of this chapter in my Bible says, The Prayer of Faith. So what is the prayer of faith? It is an expression of our faith in the whole character of God, not just one point. Not just one part of God, but all of God. See, if you read your Bible, you'll find out that God is seeking a relationship with you. You know, that's the difference between Christianity and all other religions. That God actually wants a relationship with you. And guess what? How you get a relationship, you have to talk to somebody. So it's really important that you uh, seek Him. Okay? You have to seek Him. Not just when you need Him. All the time. How, would, how crazy would it be if I didn't make date nights for my wife? I say I want to pursue her. I say I want to be uh, her husband, but we don't have any date nights. We plan them. You want a relationship with God? You need to plan it. You know, prayer is a thing that we should do all the time, but we're supposed to plan Plan time with God. And when I say plan time with God, that means the cell phone is turned off because there's no temptation to look at it. Because if you are on your phone and you are tweeting or you're telling people on Facebook, snapping a shot of the Bible verse you're reading and saying, I'm alone with God, you are not alone with God. You are pretending to be alone with God while you're telling the world what you want to tell the world. If you want to get alone with God, how crazy would it be if me and my wife are trying to be romantic, okay, and we pull out the phones and start looking at the phone and tweeting about our dinner update or, or hey, look where we are. We're here. We're not enjoying each other. Because we're supposed to be joining each other. That is what it's supposed to be with God. See, our, our, our problem today is that we have so much. That's why I, when I, I love the Puritans and I love the old uh, reading about their prayer life. It is amazing. I think they did a lot of stupid stuff too. But their prayer life is some of the most powerful stuff that they ever did. They would get up before it got light. And get on their knees and talk to God for hours. Guess why? Because they didn't have a TV. They didn't have a cell phone. They didn't have the internet. So they're like, we live in a time that it's actually harder to be a Christian. Because there's so many distractions that pull us away from a relationship with God. And I'm not saying all them things are bad because I don't think all them things are bad. But I say we need to put them away sometimes and make prayer a priority. See, we're supposed to seek a relationship. We're supposed to seek after God to build a relationship with Him. So we talk to God through prayer. We learn about God and He answers most of, his, most of them through reading. Now, I do believe that God talks audible. It's happened once with me. And I was in this church, 
And that's the only time I've ever heard God's voice that I would say I audibly heard God's voice in my head talking to me. And it was when he called me to, to, to be a pastor. And at that time, I didn't even think it was going to be the pastor of this church. But he called me to be a pastor. That is amazing. This is the sort of prayer life we should have. Mark 9, 23, 24. I love this. This is one of my favorite texts, by the way. Uh, because I love the guy's answer. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately, the father of this child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, but I don't. I believe, but I don't. Help me to believe. Help me to believe. That's what happens when you have a relationship with God. He will help you believe. He will help you grow. Prayer is appropriate to any situation. James 5.13 says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Pray. If anyone... Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. By the way, the sing praise there is also, when you sing praise, you're talking to God, you're praying to God. It's another word for praying. Praising is praying. Because we're lifting up God's name. So, prayer is appropriate in every situation. I love the way he just does a dramatic to start this text. As he's going, like, if you're really suffering, Pray. If you're cheerful, praise. Don't stop talking to me. How many people, though, like I began, talk to God when there's trouble and not as much when everything's going good? I've got this, God. You don't need to interfere. You don't need to be a part of this. I'm going to get this done. I don't need you. That's what we say when everything's going good, if you're honest. And then when stuff, when stuff hits the fan... We get to our knees and we beg. And usually, by the way, it's a last resort, not a first resort. That's the problem. It should be a first resort. We should seek after God. Always. And if you're going through something, you should seek after God first. I still say... if. I've got a back problem. Dave's got a back problem. I'm going to see a surgeon. I actually think God uses surgeons. I'm okay with them slicing me and dicing me if that's what they need to do. I'm okay with that. I'm in God's hands anyway, so he's going he's to take care of me. But I need to firstly go to God about the problem. And then seek the doctors. Because guess what? God invented doctors. He gave them the knowledge to do the work. You see, we should pray when we're sad, when we're angry, when we're hurting. But most of us don't get there hurting. We're hurting, 
We grumble, we grumble, we grumble, we grumble. Oh, nothing's happening. Now I'm going to pray. 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 That is what this text is telling us. Pray. Talk to God always. That means make a time every day to say, this is the time I'm going to sit down and I'm going to talk to God. And if it's only for two minutes, turn off everything and give him two minutes of undevoted attention. And by the way, if you continue to do that, two minutes will not be enough. It will not be enough. I believe prayer changes things. And, but this is what I believe most of all. Prayer changes me. Prayer changes me. When I pray, it changes me. It makes me understand the situation I'm going through differently. And that I am a child of God and He is taking care of me. Even if I don't get healed. Even if I have to have this back pain for the rest of my life. I am still a child of God and I am going to be okay. Because He has me. It changes my way of thinking when I talk to God. We need to pray when we're weak. The next part of the text, 14 and 15, says, Is anyone among you sick? By the way, the word sick there, uh, it, it, it can be translated sick, ill, weak, uh, the word is, is more translated more times as the word weak, not sick. So now we open a whole new category of weak because we can be weak in many ways. Our, our spirit could be weak. You know, we could be struggling, so we're weak. Or we could be bedridden and weak. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. You see, I'm going to say that again. Is any among you sick? Is any among you weak? He gives you a command, by the way. He doesn't say, elders, get off your butt, get over there and find out who's sick. And do your job, which I think is a good idea, by the way, that if you know somebody's sick and you're an elder of this church, you should be going to hospitals, you should be doing stuff. That should be something that, that we naturally do, that we, we do a poor job of, actually. But uh, pastors and elders, interchangeable, we should be uh, ministering to the sick. Okay, But this text says, let him or her call for the elders of the church. Call for, that means they have to do something. And then he says, anoint them with oil. We, we are so used to today's idea of anoint with oil. But anoint with oil also has multiple meanings. We could anoint you with oil. We can put a little dab of oil on you and pray for you. Okay? And, and that more, more represents like, 
when, when David, when, when Samson, Samuel went to David to anoint him with oil, that's more of the anointing that he did. He was saying, he anointed with oil and said, God is on you. The Holy Spirit is on you now, we would be saying to you if I anointed you to oil that way. But, in the time that this text was written, oil was used as a medicine. Remember the Good Samaritan story? Does every, uh, so the Good Samaritan, you know, he's, the kid guy's baited up naked on the side of the road. Okay? He's, he's beat up naked on the side of the road. And the priests go by, but we're, we're, we don't even have to worry because I'm not preaching this, so it'll be a long day. Uh, so we've got to skip to all the way to the end where the Good Samaritan comes along and cleans his wounds with vinegar and he puts oil on them to help heal them. In this time, oil was also used as medicine. And actually, they also used to, used to pour oil on and massage over the stuff that was infected with the oil as medicine. So, so basically what, what he's saying is here is call the elders if you're sick, have them pray of you, and seek out medical attention that I've made doctors and nurses and people to take care of you also. Not just anoint with oil and you will be well. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will rise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. See, we should expect people to be healed. When we pray for people, we should pray with the expectation that they are going to be healed. That God is going to miraculously heal them. Because, by the way, I still think that God does that. Okay? I don't think God cannot heal somebody. I really believe that if God wants to, he can. Okay? But when it says they will be healed, they will be... He doesn't say healed anyway. He uses the word save. And that actually refers to salvation also. So you showing the loving care and praying, they will be saved. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. You see, here's the thing. I don't believe sins will make you sick, but sins can cause you to be sick. If, you, if you're drifting with me here, it's a little complicated. Sins can cause you to be sick, and we're going to get to that in a little bit. But remember... We are just, the, what does the Bible call us? Tents. This skin, this flesh is just a tent. A tent's supposed to be a permanent resident. Would you want to live in a tent every day for the rest of your entire life? No. I don't care if you like camping. You're not going to want to stay in a tent, especially in our conditions that we live in, 356 days a year, are you? You can love it. And... If something happens to your tent and you get a hole in it, you have to fix it, don't you? Now, I believe God heals us like that sometimes, that he patches us up. But he can't mean completely heal, can he? He can't. Because 
do you know the best way to interpret Scripture? Is with Scripture. Okay? The rest of the Bible says that's not the way it happens. Okay? And by the way, are you living, we're guaranteed a, a, that you are going to die, by the way. Everybody in here is going to die. On this side. Everybody said, unless Jesus comes back and we're miraculous, but we've got to do something because the body that we're in is not going to be sufficient for our heavenly life. So we're all going to die. So if, if, this, if you could just pray and had enough faith to heal, this is the problem with like the, the Benny Hens of the world. They think they've got enough, if you have enough faith, you can be healed. Well, the problem with that is everybody's going to die. So at the end of your life, when you're dying, does that mean you don't have enough faith anymore? It's a problem with that with their belief system there because what is a good death and what is a bad death? Do you see what I'm saying? That's the problem with believing that God will heal everything this side of heaven. He won't. Second Corinthians also Paul. Paul had the gift of healing. Paul went around and healed a bunch of people. Like, hey, you be healed, and you be healed, and you be healed, and you be healed, and they were all healed, right? He was a walking healer. And 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 9 says this, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that I should, it should leave me. But he said to me, this is God, my grace is sufficient for you, for my, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul had the gift of healing. And God left him with some sort of element. A lot of uh, theologians, smarter than people than me, think he had problems with his eyes. Where he couldn't see very well. That's why a lot of the letters have been uh, said that he, he spoke. They were written down. He had somebody writing, writing his words down for uh, his letters because he couldn't see them. But this is what he follows with. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. See, like I said, we are tense. This side of heaven, we are tense. But guess what the Bible says you are? When you, when you go to heaven, you are a mansion. Now, everybody in here wants to live in a mansion. Well, unless you've got to clean it because it's too big. Um, but that is, that's, that's like you're going to get rid of this shabby tent that, that breaks down and, and has sickness and uh, falls apart. And you are going to become a mansion. So ultimately healing comes when you die and are raised again. We must confess. Confession is good, by the way. We should have brothers and sisters, a few of them, not... not, I'm not saying stand up in front of a church or go to a, a Catholic priest and tell him all your sins. That is not what I'm saying. You should have brothers and sisters that you can be 100% open with. They know you. They know 
you. They know your struggles and the sins that you struggle with. Because then they know how to pray for you. You see, we shouldn't be in this fight alone. We're not supposed to fight alone. We're sp- this whole text, by the way, gives every part of, like, anybody who says, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church, I just do it from my house. This blows that theory away, by the way. Because it's supposed to be relational. It's supposed to be, you're supposed to belong to a bunch of brothers and sisters, so when you're sick, you can call them. When you're, when you're celebrating something massive in your life, you can call them, and they can pray with you. They can pray to celebrate, they can pray to lift you up, because you're so down. But our sin, when we don't confess it, causes isolation. It causes us to push away from people. Because we don't want people to know the real me. Because if they know the real me, then they won't like me. See? And confession doesn't always mean we have to give all the details, by the way. You don't have to give all the details, just enough so somebody can pray for you. We can be vague. He sin. You know what the problem with sin is? And that's why this passage talks about healing so much. Sin has a way of affecting you physically, mentally, and definitely spiritually. It affects all three aspects of your health. It, if you're sinning and you've done something you don't want anybody to know about, and then somebody comes up to you and says, Hey, I heard about, and you think, What do you hear about? And you start having anxiety. Anxiety calls, calls, cause more stress. Stress cause all medical problems. That's why you need to be open with people. Because people can pray for you. People can lift you up. And that is why confession is freeing. When you say, hey, if everybody knows about me, That's why I'm so open as I'm preaching saying I've got a bad temper because you know I've got a bad temper. I might do something stupid. You need to hold me accountable for it. I'm not saying that. But you need to know that's something I struggle for, struggle with because guess what? Then you can pray for me in that way. James 16 said this, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. See, we're supposed to be open. We're supposed to share. We're a family. Messy, messy family. We are dysfunctional. We are messy. You know, you get a group of people with different ways of thinking and you bring them together and you want to make a family. And, and, and it gets messy. 
And the bigger we get, the messier it's going to get. But I don't want to lose that. I don't want to lose that. Because we're supposed to be a family of Christians. We're supposed to be a family of believers. People who love Jesus and want to work together. Even when we don't agree. Even when there's little bickering going on. We need to love each other still. And prayer works. Prayer works. One of the first times this happened in my life, where I actually seen, like, it was not immediate, but it was, it was pretty fast. Uh, my mom was dying of cancer, and I'd went to see her for, for two weeks or three, but I don't remember. It was, Shelly wasn't with me, and, and uh, I was visiting her, and she ended up in the hospital because her... Um, she got sick and she needed to go. She was having chemo and she got sick and she had to be in the hospital. And in England, in England, they have wards. They have wards where people... So you've got like six patients on that side, six patients on that side, and you can see everybody. And it's, it's actually... It was actually good, by the way. I think it's actually a good thing myself. Uh, Americans don't like being in the same room as anybody else. But I think it's actually good. When I broke my leg, I was in a ward of 24 people. And I thought it was good because I got to go around the wheelchair and talk to everybody because back then you had to be in the hospital for two weeks when you broke a leg. Now you, you can have a hip replacement and you're home the same day. I don't understand, but things have changed. Shows you how old I am. But, but so I went to see my mom. And across from my mom was a lady laying unconscious, in a coma, and her uh, husband was an undercover or a, a detective of some sort, okay? But he just investigated, he wasn't undercover, but he was a te- detective, and he just investigated a case which was so brutal, it's horrible, that this whole family, this guy torched his whole family, and he had like 12 kids, and he burnt them all in the house. So he said that's why he doesn't believe in God, by the way. But his wife was actually a really strong, had a really strong uh, Catholic uh, thing, uh, uh, life. And she, she believed in God and she believed that she was going to go to heaven. But she wanted to die at home like so many people did, do. And so I was talking to the police. My, my mom goes, yeah, he's one of them church people. Like, that's what she said. I'm just telling you how it was. And I said to, and I started talking to him. That's how I found out that he didn't believe in God. And I said, can I pray for your wife? And that's how I found out. He goes, yep, she believes. I don't. So I went over there. I laid my hand on her and I prayed that God, I didn't pray for healing, by the way. I prayed that God would give her the ability to be able to go home. And I don't even know if she went home, but this is what I do know. That was on a Monday or Tuesday. On Friday, we went back to, to pick my mom up. And I'm in this waiting room. And who was to walk into the waiting room to see her family? The lady that I'd prayed for was walked into there and walked to greet her family. I actually think God answered that prayer for me, not for her, by the way. I think he wanted to show his power. To me. 
and what he is capable of. Because I've prayed a lot of prayers like that and he's not answered them since. But he prayed that prayer and she was awake. And she was walking. She wasn't just awake. She could go home. She was walking around awake. So I believe God is very capable. And I love the fact in James that James says this. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Do you know who Elijah is? You should read your Bible if you don't. Because... And he prayed fervently that it might, not, it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Let's go back. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. So, Elijah, you, you, that's why you've got to read the book because it's so far. Every story in the Old Testament involving man is so funny. God is such a humorous person. It's unbelievable. People who say God has no, uh, doesn't have humor is, 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 is crazy because Elijah was a prophet of God. He predicts a drought because Ahab was the king and he was a nasty king. And he married somebody named Jezebel. Whatever you do, if, if you ever have grandkids, tell your kids, never name them Jezebel. Bad name, bad name, bad name. And they worshipped Baal. They actually, they actually put up a statue for Baal. Okay? So, Elijah prays that it doesn't rain. So now he's hiding by a tree, by a brook. And because God tells him to go there. So he goes there. This is all my paraphrase, by the way. So he goes there, and God says, you're going to drink from the brook, and the birds are going to feed you. And these birds, these birds would fly over, drop bread and meat to him. And he drank from the brook. But eventually, the brook dried up, because God wanted him to do something else. So God said, but brook's dry now. I'm going to let it dry up now, because I want you to move. So God says... Go to this widow's house. He actually tells them the town to go to, but he says, "Go." But I want this widow's going to take care of you, and she will feed you. So he gets to this woman's house, well, right outside, and this woman, he goes, "Make me a loaf of bread," and she says, "I have this handful of flour and this little bit of oil. That's all I have, and I'm I'm going to make it, and me and my son are going to eat it, and then we're going to die." And he goes, hold on a minute. God told me to come here and he's going to provide. So for some crazy reason, the lady listened to him and believed him and did it. And they just kept eating day after day. That flour, that little bit of flour just kept reproducing itself. And they kept eating bread and being able to drink water and stay fed. And then, so imagine this is all happening to Elijah. Okay. And then... The sun dies anyway. So the sun's dead. So Elijah's like, she goes, you brought this to my house. He says, no. So he prays for the sun. He begs God to bring the sun back to life. And the sun comes back to life. And then God says, hey, I now need you to go and confront Ahab. It's time. So he goes there and, and he confronts him and says, look, I want, to tip, I, want, 
I want to have a UFC fight with, with my God and Bale. I want you to, we're going to have a showdown. We're going to have Rocky this out, right? So he goes, so get two oxens. And he said, pick whichever one you want and put on, make a big pile of wood. And this is the best part of the story, by the way. This is why you need to read the Bible. So he piles this big pile. They pile the big pile. Baal has like 150 prophets to pray to, to Baal. And they're all praying to Baal. And, and Elijah's just standing there going, Hey, what's, your, what's, your, uh, what's Baal doing? Taking a dookie? That's basically, read the Bible. It actually says that. He says he's relieving himself. I said dookie. I just changed the word. But he, it says he's relieving himself. Is your God relieving himself? Or did he go on a journey somewhere? Uh, is he not available right now? So, so Elijah says to all these people, hey, just keep pouring water over, water over, over this one. My God's coming to fight the fight. Keep flooding it. Keep flooding it. So now it's poured over. Poured over like... Twelve jars of water have been poured over. There's water around it. It's soaking wet. And they're thinking, yeah, that's not going to, that's, that's not going to even burn. There's a stone, temp, it's all on stone. And the, the stones, there's twelve stones with, for the twelve tribes of Israel. Elijah says, light it up. He didn't say that, but that's my paraphrase. He said, light it up. And literally, boom. Not only did all the offering get burned up, but all the, the stones and everything got burned. It was like, boom! Like, it was soaking wet. So, but this is where it gets interesting. This is why Elijah's like you and me. Because you've just witnessed all of this, okay? Birds have fed you, okay? You've been able to drink. Then you went to a, 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 a woman's house that had eight ounces of flour and a tablespoon of oil, and you've been eating there for a while, right? And now you've just watched God torch everything, like boom. He runs because he's afraid because Jezebel's going to kill him. So he runs out of fear. God's just done all this stuff in his life. And then he actually asks God, basically, woe to me, kill me. Kill me, kill me, kill me. And God says, no, I'm not done with you yet. I'm not done with you yet. You see, that's how interesting the Bible is, by the way, if you read it. There's some amazing stories there. But it just shows you, even the prophet who called down fire from heaven is a moron. Just like us. But prayer works. If God is in it, prayer works. By the way, that's why when people say, when go back to the text where it says, enough faith. Where do you think that faith comes from? It's not from you. It's from God. So if God hasn't given you enough faith to move the mountain, the mountain's not going to move. If God hasn't given you enough faith, 
okay, to heal somebody. He didn't want that person healed. The faith comes from him, not from you. You can't muster up enough faith to do stuff. And finally, we should initiate healing. This text, part of the text, doesn't say anything about prayer. But it is prayer. My brothers, if any among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The thing about this text is it really lines up with the Lord's Prayer. And the thing about that is that we should look out for our brothers and sisters. If they are sinning in any way, shape or form. I don't need to put that in. We all know what sins are. Here's what, do you, do you want to know what a sin is? Anything that draws you away from God. That's what a sin is. If it take, Netflix can be a sin. Netflix can be okay. The internet can be a sin. It can be okay. Alcohol can be okay. Alcohol can be a sin for many, many people. You know? So, so, here's the thing is. If you see somebody sinning, you should hold them accountable. You should lovingly approach them. And lovingly wrap your arms around them. To bring them back to God. To bring them back to God. That is what James is about. And the Lord's Prayer says this in, in, verse, in, in Matthew 6, 12. It says, and forgive us our debts. And by the way, the debts that they're talking about aren't like salvation. This debt is not salvation. When it says forgive us our debts, it's not talking about the salvation part of it. We are already, well, by the time we're praying this prayer, we are already saved. There ain't no more saving to do. But are you still acquiring more sin in your life? I am. And this is what he's talking about. Forgive us our debts. And we also have forgiven our debtors. And another text says, if you don't forgive your debts, your debtors, you will not be forgiven. So you will be held accountable. I'm not saying you won't be in heaven. Because I, I, I think once you're saved, you're always saved. You might have not, you might, the only way that doesn't work is if you really wasn't saved in the first place. I don't think anybody has ever walked away from God that has been saved. I think people have walked away from God, but I don't think they were saved. Because if you're saved, the, the Spirit dwells inside of you and you crave God. So you have been justified by his saving grace. You are being sanctified. But you cannot be sanctified if you do not forgive the debts that you hold against somebody else. You're saying in the very moment you do that, you're saying, I'm better than them. They don't deserve forgiveness, but I do. And you're better than nobody. I'm better than nobody. I don't deserve forgiveness. And neither do you. 
See, this is the book of James. He's saying this is what it looks like to follow me, to be a Christian. James is saying, my brother showed me. This is what it's like. I was so thick. This is James. I was so thick, I didn't even realize it until he died. But now I know this is how I am supposed to live. You're supposed to stop serving your gods of the world and start serving him. Because he is love. He wants the best for your life. That might, might, by the way, the best for your life might be not your best life. That's why I have problems with books titled Your Best Life Now. Because here's the deal. I don't want my best life now. How about you? I know when my best life's going to be, and it's going to be when I die. It's going to be when I'm in the kingdom, and it's going to be when I'm in the presence of Jesus. That is when the best life now is. Not anytime soon. Anytime now. I can have a good life. I can have a, a fulfilling life. But even a fulfilling life isn't an easy life. So when you read James from now on, remember it is to reflect. It's a mirror reflecting how you should be acting, not how you're acting. Learn to live in God's grace. And remember, I've been saying all sermon series long, progress, not perfection. Progress, not perfection. And so, I want you to read a whole book this week. The book of Philemon. It's going to take you a while. But you can read the book of Philemon. And I want you to read the book of Philemon. Think about what it says. Because some of the stuff in there is like... Talks about slaves. But by the way, I will tell you this. We're all slaves to something. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father... We just thank you for this uh, James series. We, series. we thank you that uh, you are a good God. A God that, that covers us when we sin. A God that doesn't leave us though. That wants to rebuild us and make us new. Help us to find our identity only in you. Help us not to look to the world to fill us, but to look to you to fill us. Help us to follow and love you as only you can. I ask that you go with everyone in this room today and just help them to be people that talk to you, that build relationships with other Christians in this church, that they can be open and honest, not hiding because of shame, because we have no condemnation, because we are in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So let's